Uh, hello, folks. Welcome to another Odd Pod Classic. Uh, I'm Trevor. Joining me is Valerie. Hello. I am joining Trevor today. Good to be joining you here in the in the Odd Pod Classic Studio, which is separate from our Odd Pod Original Episode Studio. Yeah. I like I, I like the walls that are in this studio. Nice, nice shade yeah. of blue. Yeah, it's a much, it's a, a much more classic design here. <laughs> yeah, this is the studio we specifically had built just to do intros for our Odd Pod Classic episodes, since obviously the episode itself was already recorded a long time ago. There's just a different energy in here, you know. I'm having green tea, uh, decaf green tea Ooh. right now. Um, How's that tasting? How's it? So. So, uh, classic drink. The green it's great. Tea. It's very, very relaxing, very calming. Um, so we're bringing you a classic. Uh, this one, this was only on uh, Patreon previously, right? This was a Patreon episode. It was a Patreon episode. Yes, this was recorded in December 2020. I remember it was because I got sick not from covid and then a week later i got sick from covid and this was during the time that i was initially sick great uh so this episode uh was missing uh, we talked about the film missing with our guests uh, uh kurt schiller and chris woodward we did yes and i think you wanted to release this odd pod classic episode because you recently saw this movie uh in a movie theater Right, and maybe you have um, something to share about that experience. I I did yes, I saw it at the Cleveland Cinematheque here uh, in Cleveland, in, on the east side in University Circle. If anyone wants to go and visit sites from the podcast, yes, go to uh, the Cleveland Cinematheque, which is technically part of the Cleveland Institute of Art. Very nice theater, really good seats. Uh, uh, the guy who runs it, John, I forget his name right now, but John, he does incredible introductions at the beginning of every film, and uh, he didn't uh, uh, do any, he, he did great as always, and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just a, a super, super fun time at the movies. I went with two of my roommates, it was great, and we saw it in 35mm, it was great to see it in 35 millimeter. It was a really crisp print with like, occasionally it would like, there, it would be the little like circles and stuff and like the like all that sort of stuff. But that's what you come to 35 millimeter for. It was just the really circles. cool. And I got to see the circles. <laughs> yes. Well, well, you know, that like grainy look that sometimes like film has. Yeah. Also it was so like crisp I, and the, nice. Uh, the film, the film look. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that film look. It uh, looked like it was definitely on a film strip. Yes, and I that's got always to... great. We love that, <laughs> folks. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't we love those film strips? <laughs> um, uh, it, if you, if you like film strips, uh, uh, tweet at the odd pod hashtag. Uh, check film out, check out, fans. check out a film sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but i will say it was it was an amazing experience for many reasons the film is obviously great as we'll talk about in a little bit uh 
in the in the classic episode, but also it was the first time I've ever seen Jack Lemon in like a movie theater. Seeing like his a film of his on like the big screen that felt really nice. <laughs> Interesting. You know, it occurs to me mm-hmm. the reason that they call it a film is because uh originally, at least in the old days, it was recorded on a, a strip of film and then yeah. developed uh, uh, into a negative uh, to be uh, printed onto another uh, strip of film in order to project it onto a screen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a physical uh, film, which is where the, uh, which is where the term uh, film comes from for a uh, motion picture. Yeah. So that's a little interesting bit of uh, history, a little bit of, uh, 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 what's the word I'm trying to think of? The word for like where uh, words come from? Uh, etymology. Etym- etymology. That's a little, yeah. e- a little etymology lesson mm-hmm. for you. Nice. Have, have you ever seen a Jack Lemmon movie in the theater? I was going to say, I don't think I ever have. Uh, I mean... Yeah, because if I did, it would have had to have been when I was a kid in the 90s. And mm-hmm. like I've said before, I don't think I ever saw any of those uh, old movies mm-hmm. until <laughs> recently. Yeah. So, uh, so no, I don't think I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's great. And I, I would say if, if like a theater near you is ever playing like anything from like some like how the shortcuts go, because it's great to see our boy on that screen. <laughs> yeah. Great to see him on a real film strip with the circles. Um, <laughs> well, I think we've I think we've, intro- I think we've introduced this circles. enough. We've got a whole odd pod. We've got a whole odd pod classic edition of our Lemon Party episode on Missing, featuring our good friends Kurt and Chris. To get to Kurt and so Chris, I, uh, yes. Without without further ado, I think we can go ahead and uh, present to you. The classic uh, premium the classic lemon party premium. episode. Yes. On Costa Gravis' Missing. Missing. Union, yes! Today's union movement is all about giving people a voice in what goes on at work and in supporting one another. I believe in that. I said union, yes. America works best when we say union, yes! just gonna i was gonna remark on the fact that we're all kind of uh in the same sort of region of of the u.s uh you know uh, ohio pennsylvania maryland are all sort of contiguous with one another mm-hmm. uh, yes we just need we just need like a, a west virginian to close the light <laughs> yeah for the 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 four quadrants of the uh middle uh, atlantic uh, uh area <laughs> yeah, the the general like rust belts of America. Yeah, exactly. Appalachian fluid power. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yo, so I I always feel very called out when people are like, it's not Appalachia, it's Appalachia, because in Pennsylvania, people people at least in my experience say Appalachia, not yeah. not Appalachia, and it's like the mountains directly go through the state. <laughs> but you're not. But you're not. But you're pretty far away from the actual Appalachian uh, region, though. 
I mean, we're not. You're on the other. You're on the other side. You're on the other side of the state. We're not. Oh, I guess it kind of goes diagonal. Yeah, no, it actually it actually touches the top of New Jersey. It's actually it's like an hour and a half from me and probably less from Chris. Probably like like half an hour from Chris. Oh yeah, there's like a Appalachian Trail trailhead like. Uh, you know, ten minutes away from my for me right now. It, it's really just a dialect thing, though. Yeah. You know, it's like just the way. It's funny. It, it, it's funny how like with regional stuff like that. It's like how in uh Aus- people from Australia will get annoyed if you say Melbourne instead of Melbourne, and it's like <laughs> that's just your accent. Like we, like I'm sorry, but where I come from, we pronounce ours. You know, yeah. like I, I get. It's like it's not. It's like it's like it's not saying it wrong. It's just a different. I have a different accent than you. So like, yeah, like I don't say Appalachia either because that's just not how I talk. You know? <laughs> people, people turned it into like a um, like an authenticity thing. Like, people like love to people. Ma- it's like it's people like, love it's... to make things about authenticity, and it's like yeah. you're not an authentic. If you're from there, <laughs> sure, you'll say that, but like it doesn't make you an. To be someone who's not from Appalachia and say it, that doesn't make you more. It's like, oh, I'm respecting their culture. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it goes, it goes into New York State. Like, I, no, it it goes into Maine. Like, there's people yeah. who's like Appala- mm-hmm. Appalachia. I'm going to Appalachia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's always funny because people are always like, well, you know, you you Northerners are different. Uh, down in the South, we really like love food. Just like, yeah, we love food too. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're a it's big a... food city, and it's like, oh yeah, food city. We don't have any fucking food here. I also feel like Appalachian culture uh, doesn't really exist as much anymore as like a coherent thing. There's definitely, there's definitely like, I, I mean, there, like around here and like out, you know, more Chris's way, even more so. There's definitely like a type of guy that you'll find. Mm-hmm you know, that extends, you know, 150 miles north and south. But I'm not convinced it has anything to do with the type of guy who's, who, yeah, who's like a mountain man yeah. in, in like Tennessee. Um, yeah. And there's, cause yeah, it's so long. There's so many, like the, the Pittsburgh kind of Appalachian area is its own whole thing. Oh, yeah. sure. Like the, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh it's weird because that Pittsburgh is such a weird, like specific culture. Cause it's like the intersection of Appalachia and like the midwest but yeah. also the east coast at the same time oh, sure. it's like a mm-hmm. it's like this convergence point yeah and i feel another interesting thing of of like the appalachia area is like particularly west virginia i found because both my grandparents who were born like the 20s or 30s uh were both like born and raised in west virginia and them and like their whole group of friends i've moved to cleveland or pittsburgh so basically because there were no jobs in west virginia and it was one of those things where it's just like so like i feel like pittsburgh and cleveland also had like this like yeah it just has this uh residual west virginian energy to it i'd say mm-hmm. it's hard to articulate like west virginian culture but that's a topic for another day <laughs> There's also there's also rural areas that are like that are like disconnect they're 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 a not really especially rural nor do they have any particular connection but like the people there identify that way so for instance like like the Pine Barrens in New Jersey is like it's is like its own thing and people there started over the last twenty years or so started acting more southern because that became like what rural culture was and they see themselves right. as rural so like like you'll go to like you know south jersey and see like confederate flags and it's like yeah. you're in fucking new jersey <laughs> <laughs>
well, uh, this is on that note. None of this has anything to do with uh, Jack Lemon, uh, but uh, we might as well let you know at this point that you're listening to Lemon Party. Uh, I'm, of course, Trevor Drinkwater. Uh, my co host, as always, is Valerie Fay. I'm Valerie Fay, and I my voice is shot, so that's why I sound like this today. <laughs> okay, and the other two voices you've been hearing are our guests, our good friends, Kurt Schiller and Chris Woodward, uh, co-hosts of the podcast Parents Just Don't Understand, and a couple of all-around great guys. Uh, and uh, we all watched the 1982 Jack Lemmon film, Missing. Uh, so first of all, welcome to the show, Chris and Kurt. Thank Thanks you for having us on. It's great to have you. And I, this movie was Chris's suggestion, actually. It wasn't one that had been on our radar, but uh, I'm very glad that you uh, suggested it. Uh, I'm glad that I got the chance to watch this movie because it's really, really a beautiful movie and like a heartbreaking movie. Uh, it's a real feel good, uh, <laughs> feel good, heartwarming uh-huh, tale. Yeah. Companionship and friendship, intergenerational yeah. friendship. <laughs> Well, it, well, well it, I mean, it is in a way. It, it, it's a very, it's a very like touching movie, and it's a, and it's a sad story, a true story. But it's also about like, it's about like a father who is sort of getting to know his son in a way, despite the fact that you know, spoiler alert, his son is dead. Um, but he's like discovering who his son. Uh, it is it, who his son was and what kind of person he was and finding out like the things he has in common with his son through his search for him and through his uh, kind of relationship with his uh, daughter-in-law played by Sissy Spacek, who's also fantastic in this movie. And, uh, and that's all, you know, that's all like beside from the political element of, of, of the movie, which is also very strong, but it's, it's just very, it's very touching in that regard. And like, I personally had a um, a pretty strong emotional reaction to Jack Lemmon's performance in this movie. He he really perfectly conveys uh, uh, this this you know this very paternal character, uh, you know a fatherly character mm-hmm. who is very like uh, at odds with his son politically and uh, has sort of a conservative mindset and is and is uh, naive about a lot of things in the world of politics and as he's learning about who his son was what kind of man his son was he's also like getting a reality check about the ways of the world and those things really coincide and it's and the emotional uh, kind of journey that he goes on really really affected me yeah uh, lemon uh, jack lemon has a couple um pretty lengthy monologues and they just they hit every time and they're they're not um you know corny or sentimental they're just like you know you could you, they're just really really uh straight to the heart i think i think one of the things that makes it uh it, it make, makes those monologues effective and and makes the kind of emotional dimension that you were talking about trev really really affecting and yeah i i felt the exact same way uh it, it really affected me on an emotional level is the fact that he starts from such like a like a very like paternalistic kind of like asshole place. Like, like he's, he's straight up like an asshole and he's just being real shitty about his son at the beginning. Gen and not in a way that you would get in a lot of films now where it's like, he's being shitty in a way that you can take back and be like, Oh, I forgot my beautiful boy. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, it's, it's not, and it goes on for quite a while. Like 
like uh, it's almost like two thirds of the way through the movie before he really starts becoming sympathetic. Yeah. Um, to his son, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not like oh, I feel bad immediately and I'm taking it all back. Like he he remains kind of an a hole for like a good length of the film. I think that makes the that makes the change um, feel much more genuine and it and it feels like like a much more significant development and like an organic development of the character because especially like like he hangs on much longer than the audience does in terms of like being pretty sure what happened. Like, like it, it almost goes to extremes. You're like, this guy seems like kind of in denial or like almost just like out of touch about what's going on. Like he almost seems to not understand that a coup has happened or that like Mm -hmm. people are being executed in the streets. Even apart from whether his son, you know, could be alive or dead. I mean, that that's part of what makes him such a perfect cipher for telling this kind of story is that he is uh, he he is like ex- he's very skeptical to and like uh, and like you, you say that he's an asshole and he is and he is an asshole but like I feel like his uh perspective going into the movie is not an unreasonable one. He's not like he he's like a little bit hard-headed and a little stubborn but uh he has a point of view that would be very normal for a typical American who hasn't really seen the world and has had a comfortable a life to to have and from his perspective the way uh that sissy spacek is behaving at first is very unreasonable and kind of hysterical and you know paranoid and he sees his son as like kind of paranoid uh and and like and uh so and it's um and i mean you can see that from like with his limited knowledge of the situation like why he would would feel that way um and as the viewer at first you know like if if I didn't already have the political prejudices I had going into it, I might be more sympathetic to him and also wondering why Sissy Spacek is like acting like why she won't cooperate with the American authorities at all. Mm-hmm. I do want to say, though, like like he seems to think that um, his son and Sissy Spacek, uh, Beth, I Beth, think yeah. that, uh, Charlie and Beth are like like hippies mm-hmm. like fr- like at the beginning of the movie and it, it it's pretty clear to the audience that like they're not hippies like they just kind of seem like regular like yeah. young adults like they're they're not like super like conservative but they're definitely not like like hippie weirdos either like i think beth even says at one point like like we're we're not freaked out hippies yeah. like we're just you know trying to live down here and he definitely has the point of view you get the the impression that like he thinks they're like sitting around playing bongo drums like down in chile yeah there's a detail that i liked that like when he's when jack lemon is meeting with like the actual kind of sort of radical political types that 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 knew his son how they see him they see, see his son as like a little bit of a a lightweight or like a moderate and even like and and even which was a very realistic thing they suspected that he might be cia like undercover yeah. <laughs> because because of his because he's this guy who's you know he's like a left-leaning guy and he's like very interested and curious about these political movements and he's asking a lot of questions and taking a lot of notes and it's like you know partially because he's a writer but also for his personal curiosity and enrichment and it's like so they were like suspicious of this guy you know especially because he wasn't into political violence and not necessarily 100 percent down with the like socialist movement i feel like with the jack lemon character a very interesting thing i found with it was that it was like done very genuinely like it was done very real like like when when we're talking about like how like they him and his son like 
were conflicted and him and Bev were conflicted, you could tell it was like in sort of like a way where it was like he was really frustrated with his son, but it still felt like an obligation to him, even if he was like really frustrated. And you could tell that like a distant a distance had like grown between them over the years and that they were trying and he kind of when he went down there he was just like like especially in those first things with Beth he was just like very venting and just frustrated like like literally he said like what what the hell were you two doing down here anyway Mm -hmm. or whatever he said and just but it felt like real and it felt like so much of it like like you said Kurt how like they just were not doing like the traditional movie version of just like oh he's gonna be a little annoying in the first act but then second act he's just gonna be perfect they didn't do that they just were like this is gonna be a slow but journey of them understanding each other as people really and and as it went on Beth could like see more of his like humanistic side and how like his like belief in like christian science which although i i obviously don't believe in uh (laughs) was just sort of like uh she could tell that for him it did come from like a humanistic angle of just like he did genuinely care and he felt that that was like the way to live and you could see them like coalesce as like two peers like family even if they were like very diametrically opposed in love ways and yeah i i i felt like from the beginning uh it, it's very clear that that jack lemon is coming from a loving place and that he loves his son isn't and is concerned <laughs> about him but he you know uh uh views his son as like you know like a fuck up like he doesn't know <laughs> what he's doing he's he's oh, like a, sure. a frivolous person but like but in a way that like a father like would feel about a son in that situation. It feels, it feels very real and it feels very loving. And a lot of it is like his frustration and confusion about the whole situation, uh, uh, you know, activates some of that kind of, you know, resentment uh, towards his son and his son's wife. But it's like, it, 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 you can, you can tell from the beginning that, that he loves him and it's not purely like animosity. Mm Mm-hmm. I did also like that, like two of his, um, two two of his reactions to kind of their 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 lives and lifestyles, I thought were were actually fairly on point. Um, one of them is like when Jack Levin gets a look at like the the animated film that his son is supposedly working on, and like some of his his like short stories, like they're really not very good. <laughs> and so Jack Levin's kind of like, eh, like, okay, like, okay, I, I, I guess. And, and like his, you know, Beth seems very into it. Obviously she's like, you know, halfway grieving already and is very attached to, you know, Charlie, but like as the audience, it does, it does feel a little bit naive, this idea that he's working on an animated film or that he's like, you know, a, a writer. And the other thing was um, there was a really good line where um uh ed is is like basically calls him out on doing like like poverty tourism almost where he's mm-hmm. like it's it's real easy to like play it being poor when you have you know a round trip ticket in your pocket and like he's he's being harsh but he's also like he's he's also not really wrong exactly like they they you know they they are personally invested but but also like they they definitely are enjoying you know living like the quaint 
quirky you know chilean lifestyle yeah. among like colorful characters they're they're definitely they, they they definitely aren't bought in the way that you know the chileans are as evidenced by the fact that they're constantly pulling rank by being like oh well we're americans they can't do anything to us we could just walk away and, and it's and it's uh it's um it was his son charlie it was charlie's uh kind of naivety about the the realities of the political situation that got him into trouble and got him killed because he kind of felt like he sort of felt like he was sitting you know obviously he realized he was kind of in danger and was trying to get out of there but he felt like he would be able to get away with asking all these questions and like and and like investigating and not like like if if he had really been like of that world he probably would have had more sense that like what he was doing was very dangerous and he was going to get himself killed like <laughs> asking all these questions and and about like you know uh, the U the US government's involvement in the coup there and uh yeah and, and then also like it there are multiple points uh as the movie goes on where uh jack lemon react or ed reacts to something in a certain way and someone tells him like oh uh charlie did the same thing like and mm -hmm. it, and then and you realize that his kind of like the way he's sort of like naive about the political situation is actually very similar to how charlie was and the, the fact that he charlie had a, a more uh kind of radical viewpoint uh came from observation there like he didn't go go into it as like you know the, this this sort of radical thinker so like so yeah. like uh, so jack lemon starts to have a journey that kind of mirrors uh his son's journey in a way yeah i i, I think there was a a good uh a scene that encapsulated charlie's uh nativity uh when they're at that um restaurant and he's and uh oh, yeah. a bunch of the the cougars yeah, yeah. Uh, come to take somebody away and he like they like <laughs> i think they like slap a woman or something like that mm -hmm. and he stands up he stands up to them and then they just like push him over because he's like you know rail thin uh and uh they're like what what the hell are you doing you're you're gonna get us all killed but he was just like yeah i know but i i just had to like but like that's the thing like there's these like you know giant goons from the coup that are there and he just decided to try and step up to them so and and that's that's a very uh you know brazen stupid american thing like <laughs> thinking that we can just like push our way around and like and, and his father kind of does the same thing but in the very um pmc kind of way where he's just like He's he's very polite, but he's very like I'm getting my way because I'm gonna talk to your manager mm -hmm. in that kind of way, uh, and so he he feels like he you know it's almost like he wants to like you know get Pinochet on the phone and well and, yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> well he he flips out in the car too when like there's like there's like a jeep full of men with with like uh like like automatic rifles pointing them yes. at them and he's like what are you doing yeah. you, you guys gotta stop this and like what the fuck is wrong with you they, like he just saw them try to like mow down these uh you know graffiti vandals like in the street <laughs> and like just because of the no there's such a disruption that jack lemon starts like freaking out and that's when that uh <laughs> that's when that uh journalist that reporter says to him like oh i saw your son do the same thing because you know his son just has this very strong sense of justice, but like doesn't fully like isn't fully aware of his surroundings. And it really it, it comes from the fact that he and Jack Lemon, his dad, are from the same world. They're from this yeah. very privileged American background. And that gives them this strong, strong sense of what's right and wrong. And like they and they they react in a, an inappropriate way when when they see that without 
giving enough consideration to their own safety. I love how Jack Lemon keeps being like, I'm an American, goddammit, yeah. I have rights. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's the very, um, you know, the very naive um, attitude that, you know, basically all of America has where it's like, you know, we'll just let the Chileans do their own thing. I'm just here to get my son back. Well, you know, no harm, no foul. We'll just leave and everything will be the same rather than like, you know, even though he's witnessing horrific things around him, he, he he's just solely focused on his son, at least at the beginning. You know, obviously his uh, perspective changes as the movie goes along, but it's very much of like, um, you know, the American uh, idea of like, well, whatever happens over there is not really my concern. Um, you know, we'll we'll let our you know spooks handle that. Yeah, kind of well, stuff. well, it's it's very it's very interesting that like, uh, his perspective he's he's not only naive about America's involvement uh, in the coup, but also just. He's naive about the fact that, like, even if it wasn't, like, even if America weren't involved, he he doesn't seem to fully grasp that a place could be that unjust. Like, because he has this, uh, he has this very liberal concept of, like, natural rights. And it's like, they couldn't do that. They couldn't just arrest people for no reason. They have to have done something wrong. Like, like, like he, he recognizes that he's in a repressive, uh, uh, situation. Like he sees that there's state violence being committed around him, but he's, he still has this like sense that like, you know, this isn't fair. Like it's not right. But these people, those people must've been doing something wrong, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like we, like we defeated, we defeated Nazi Germany. That's over. That was, that couldn't happen again, you know? Right. Yeah. This movie does a really good job of depicting exactly how fucking terrifying it would be to live through a right-wing coup, uh, like a military coup. Like, it's like the, the moments like you described where uh, Jack Lemmon's in the car and the like the, the you know, the, the, the Jeep full of guys with, uh, you know, automatic uh, rifles just start shooting people uh, like that kind of stuff. And then like the scenes where they go to the, you know, the infamous soccer stadium where they kept everybody prisoner and were executing people like that was just like, you know, pit pit of your stomach, like chills down your spine, kind of like terrifying uh, scenes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen? Um, uh, ha- has anyone ever seen a movie called uh, Sleeping Dogs? It's a film from the late seventies with Sam Neill. No. Um, it's it it depicts a uh, like basically a, a fascist coup in uh, New Zealand, um, and a lot of the 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 scenes of like the like violent suppression of protests and people and kind of like the the mass executions feel very similar. Um, it's it's very much coming from like a you know that like late seventies like political thriller um, milieu and it, it it kept it was it, the 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 um, I don't know the the visceral depiction of yeah like people getting like like disappeared and like people just being shot and like left for dead in the street was like really um, I, like I don't want to say stand out like like it was good but it like it it stood out in the film as being something that was like. It definitely made, especially the beginning and like the middle of the film, feel different from what what could have felt much more like like a maudlin or like overly emotional, like slightly like like sappy almost film. Well, it it's it's presented very very uh, plainly, yeah. which is it it does it it fits very much into the kind of uh, 
uh, sort of a 70s new Hollywood milieu, even though it's not technically the 70s and it's not actually a Hollywood director. It it really has that 70s uh, thriller kind of feel where it's very stark. It's not uh, presented in an emotional mm-hmm. way. It's shown very plainly. And that's something that um, you don't see often in, in, in movies now. Like, uh, it, it, it's like to, to have like, to 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 not use sort of like emotional music cues uh mm-hmm. w- whenever necessary and like you, you know it's presented you, you see the action a lot of like wide shots we don't get a lot of like uh, uh cross cutting to like close ups of the victims to like you know give it like more impact it's it's kind of you see things plainly as a person in the situation uh, would and that makes it feel uh more real and more kind of uh um, it, it, it's, it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't feel as like man, the image isn't as manufactured. Mm-hmm. It also makes it hard to like get a handle on what exactly the stakes are later in the film. So like, I, I, I read nothing about the film. So like, I didn't know that it was based on like, like, like actual people. And so, you know, you could infer what the events of the film were, but the fact that, you know, certain characters were alive and dead afterward. Um, but there's a scene toward the end where um sissy spacek and uh jack lemon's characters are like separated where like they both have figured out basically what's going on and what what happened to charlie and they're like oh there's a call for you ed um and you can see that he's hesitating to leave her alone while she's being like interrogated by the police yeah and i genuinely was not sure whether she would be there when he got back or whether they'd be like Oh, we had to take her somewhere else, and then she'd be like gone and and dead too. And it it, it was it was nice. It was like I feel like the realism of it meant that you couldn't tell like who was you know who was a vulnerable character or not. Effectively, like yeah. anything could have and happened. I, I like that you only see what the characters see. It's not like after they leave the room, we get a little ominous scene of the American uh, right. officials like giving each other like evil looks like they what do they know they can't find out (laughs) like you see everything as they would see it you see this polite and helpful front that that the like officials are putting up and it's not until the the sort of the end when when ed angrily confronts them at the embassy that they they let slip sort of hints that they pretty much knew what had happened all along you know they don't admit they obviously don't admit to it but um the the creepy general guy i forget what his name was he gives that little like thing about the mafia like if i came to new york city and started causing problems for the mafia and they whack like make making it the, like giving this little like example where it's like you know you go asking too many questions causing trouble shit happens you know like su- suggesting that he like that yeah like i did know all along but i'm not going to admit it to you ray yeah. tower <laughs> which is the hell of a name this is yeah. yeah ray tower tower Right. It, it was also that one scene of Beth, and I forget the character's name, but the lady who was in c- the cashier in the movie Car Wash, uh, who was the friend. Uh, uh, Trudy, they, Tracy? Like, Terry. Wasn't her name Terry? Terry. Terry. That's Terry, it. Yeah, I think, Terry. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she, she, that lady was a great actress. I know, I think she mostly does like TV directing now, but yeah, every time she pops up in something, she's really good. Uh, she, um, yeah, that scene of, of them in his like 
mansion and how he's just like such a creep to both of them and like went into the bathroom while she was taking a bath and like also trying to force his way into terry's room and also just like when in the bath in the bathroom with her she's like time to move on or he said something coded like you know the time is like an illusion it's time to move on or whatever he said and it's just like god what a piece of shit that guy is he knew already yeah it's also amazing how like that 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 moment yeah that that moment um val in the mansion really like struck me as almost feeling like a slasher film which mm-hmm. is like banging on the door she's like let me in he's right here he's he's, he's coming over <laughs> yeah. um, he, and it, and, and he, but he never <laughs> drops his like he never changes his tone or speeds up or anything he has like this very consistent yeah it's like sort of like a forceful tone but like he doesn't start raising his voice more or like or like play it up. He's just kind of calmly like walking towards her, saying the same thing, and they rush in and close the door and lock it. And he just continues as if like un- unfazed by the fact that they're like they're like yelling and running from. Him. He, just, he just like continues calmly uh, saying his creepy thing. Mm-hmm. It it yeah. it does it does also strike me that like you know when when this would have been taking place and even like in the early eighties, like uh just being well, a 70, creep 73 was, was, was like. When it- yeah, but but With, like, like the picture even of Nixon in, even on in the like, walls. Even in like eighty two, like just a, a guy just being a creep was even then a somewhat more uh, viable like method of flirting. Right. I'm just being like, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let these women know that I th- like I'm into them by just being a weird creep mm-hmm. and walking yeah. in on them. And it's th- that, that that's always like a weird thing in watching in watching movies from like the late seventies because sometimes it's it's like played like almost like charmingly and you're like eh. yeah but like so like at least at least this was played as like like the very threatening way that it actually was yeah well it, yeah. it's very interesting because he's obviously trying to like intimidate them and sort of warn them off of like asking too many questions and stuff and he's going about it in like a sexual way like you know mm-hmm. like like he's he's yeah. he, he's do, he's doing this like weird like uh in inappropriate like male uh creep thing and it's done to make them feel afraid to like to tell them like to get out of there but it's very like uh it's it's just very buried under this weird like uh section like he, he's he's doing like weird like verbal violence to them in a way where he has like total deniability about it. And then and then Jack Lemon's character really underlines it and like the views of you know like a person like like he like like Ed when he's like you took a bath at his house like really <laughs> yeah. you took a bath there he, well he's, right. you can see him like. Uh, searching for reasons to blame them and to blame his son and to like, you know, yeah. he says that. And then almost immediately after that, he says, you know, was Terry having an affair with my son? You know, like he's, he's like, he's always spinning his wheels to try to figure out what the wrongdoing was on, on their part. And then like, and that, that just fits in with the sort of, you know, sexist uh, uh, prejudice, like, oh, well, you must have been doing, you must have been like leading him on or giving him signals. And that's why he was being weird, you know? Mm-hmm. And God, this movie was just so good. And it was, I, I've never seen this, any of this director's ever movies, but Chris, he said that he was a communist, right? Casa Gra- Gavras? 
Yes. Yeah. And, and that was what actually led me to recommend this movie was because um, <clears throat> this was actually the first movie I've seen of his. Um, but I was aware of his, uh, you know, that he was considered a you know, super left wing director. Um, and then like uh, to see that there was a, you know, movie directed by this, uh, you know, uh, left wing uh, guy starring Jack Lemon, I was like, that's crazy. And then top it all off, th- this was, you know, this was financed by Universal Pictures. So like, this is a Hollywood movie, uh, you know, not even like outright stating that the United States not only like was complicit in the right wing coup, but like, you know, aided and abetted and like, you know, benefited from the the Pinochet's coup, uh, coup which is like a surprising stance for a Hollywood picture to take. Um, and so it was very interesting to me to see somebody like Jack Lemmon who like, you know, his, his persona as, as you know, I've gone through all his movies is like very, you know, kind of like not political at all, at least in, mm-hmm. in the movies he mostly does. Um, so like to see him do a, a uh, definitively left wing movie like this one was really interesting. The film was actually sued, um, for uh by the the u.s ambassador to to uh, chile um <laughs> for 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 basically saying that like he did it but <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, like they were in on it and it, it was it was but unsuccessful, it doesn't but... it doesn't really come out because all it does is sort of relate the accounts of the people involved like it doesn't like it that's kind of like part of the part of um uh 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 a part of the utility of the fact that they don't show anything that the characters don't see. You don't see the secret evil guys in the room scene. Like you only like see and hear what they saw and heard. And, you know, like mm-hmm. then like the journal entries, you know, because uh, Charlie said he talked to that weird guy from the Navy and he said that stuff. And it's like, whether or not that actually meant anything, you know, like it could, the movie doesn't necessarily say like, well, that's cause this and this, it's just like, this is what Charlie heard some guy say, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Or, like, how about the almost, like, Rashomon-type scene where they're talking to, like, the two older people, and they're like, oh, he was taken by, like, by an army truck, and they show the yeah, army truck, yeah. and they're like, no, 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 it was a civilian truck, and they, like, they like disappear all the soldiers and put in, like, a regular pick. I, I was fascinated yeah, by that. I was, like, I, I was scene. not expecting, like, a scene like that in, in a film like this or, or, or from this time era. I, mm-hmm. I have to say something about, a couple things about what Chris just said is, uh, first of all, that is interesting that, like, in in like the early 80s i feel like there's this very brief period in in hollywood maybe because it was like perestroika area and like the cold war had had like sort of wound down that like suddenly like reds came out like i think in 81 like in the same time period mm-hmm. where like suddenly it yeah. was sort of like okay or maybe even fashionable to be like sympathetic to like communist points of view in hollywood like suddenly you know, all, all of the real, like, the McCarthyist stuff was, like, o- all over at that point. And it was, like, and it was, like, suddenly, like, there was uh, this I- I- this willingness to uh, uh, make movies like that. And it didn't last long. Uh, mm-hmm. They certainly don't do anything like that now in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but that's, and then I guess also because of all the cynicism uh, from, like, the Vietnam War and stuff, like, it just became more fashionable and probably profitable, at least for a while. I guess um that yeah. uh what was the Elaine May movie, Valerie uh, uh Ishtar right Ishtar that, that yeah. was in the eighties mm-hmm. also, 
Yeah, um, maybe that was like the one that maybe that was the one that killed it because it was such a flop. They were like, okay, no more, no more of this kind of movie. Yeah, I remember, I remember jokes about Ishtar in like 1997. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a couple things I thought of with this movie was Trevor. You said earlier how like this is technically not a 70s movie, but in a way, I and it's not a Hollywood movie because well, I mean, it Robert is a Hollywood Robert's, movie, but, but I, no, I guess the, yeah, the but director yeah. was yeah, he mostly worked in in French film, I think. Yeah, uh, but so I really feel like. This movie's almost like I feel the I haven't thought about this before, but I feel like early eighties like radical films are sort of the logical conclusion of like seventies mm. like political filmmaking because like with every decade, like the first like three or four years of that decade, it's sort of just like yeah. that the last decade just like weaning off and becoming whatever the next decade is. And also this movie, so yeah, I feel like it's a riff on like seventies political movies, and I I feel like he was definitely interested in making one of those, and that's why he did this. And I also felt like I like this a bit more than that, but I do feel like this is almost like it's like an extension of Jack Lemmon's work in the China Syndrome, I'd yeah. say. And like because in both, he really does play that sort of like ordinary american man because that was his like persona for years in like the apartment and all the wilder movies and everything in great race <clears throat> and now it's like a comment on how society has failed this like common american man and just how like how like being dedicated to the system won't get you shit and how like the system is like truly rigged against you beyond any level you could possibly imagine and I also felt like oh, w one last thing. I, I feel like uh, uh, I, I the way you talked about how like you don't see anything beyond what is seen by the characters. It almost felt like another some stuff in like the compositions and stuff. I feel like this is such a fight comparison. I feel like it's a little bit like X Files, <laughs> like pre X Files, but without the like sci fi sure, element, just yeah. sort of that like. Yeah, just yeah. very procedural method and yeah and it is it is very interesting that's of a piece with uh the china syndrome and i guess uh on this podcast we've sort of identified three uh distinct jack lemon eras there's like the early jack <laughs> lemon era which is like a lot of billy wilder comedies and that kind of thing there's there's the later uh the late period Jack Lemon, which I think, you know, there's, you have Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which kind of stands out as this great performance. And he also has a lot of like the silly comedies and grumpy old men and stuff. And, and then, and then there's this middle part of the, the very serious, a uh, very Oscar winning and sort of political Jack Lemon. Uh, and, uh, and uh, it's, an, and it's interesting because China syndrome obviously is also a political film, but it's just concerned with the, um, you know, the sort of domestic issues of the time and like the energy crisis and, and, uh, and capitalism to some degree. Uh, and it's, as it's a, it's a, a little bit more of a restrained kind of liberal perspective. So I like that there's this sort of, um, natural progression that you get that era of Jack Lemmon a few years later doing this movie, which has a much more unapologetically left-wing perspective. And I think the other, the other one that we, that we need to talk about that we're going to have to watch. I don't know much about it, but uh, the one that Jack Lemmon won the best actor Oscar for was save the tiger, which came out in 1973. 
I think. And that also, that also, I think has some political themes and a sort of like allegorical of, of just like, uh, you know, uh, him being like a common American man. And I, I feel like that's the one we need to see is sort of complete this trifecta because like we sort of seeing this, uh, this progression of Jack Lemmon doing these serious performances in political films and then all the way to this movie in 1982, which uh, is made by a communist. So Save the Tigers one we definitely got to check out. Yeah. Valerie, picking up on what you were saying about the system being rigged against like the common man, uh, you know, and, and so he goes down there and he's protected up until he questions the orthodoxy of you know the american colonial project like as long as like you know you're fine you can be have, live a comfortable life but the minute you start saying like why the fuck are we in chile helping these right-wing goons doing this stuff it, it, you know all of a sudden that like you, you know your your bright young son can get murdered and disappear i did really like that part where um the ambassador is like there are over 3000 american businesses doing business in chile and i was like wow this went like full jfk mm -hmm. uh, yeah. in a surprising way but then at the same time and this this threw me a little bit in terms of the political stance of the film um i i felt like it ends on a more upbeat note than i was expecting it given that they have been totally frustrated and foiled in all of their efforts but the ending of it feels like it, it doesn't feel as dark as the ending actually is. Um, it, it does kind of end on that like closing shot of like the casket, like months later mm -hmm. being shipped off the plane and that final insult of them, like making them pay to have his body flown back. Um, but there, 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 it did sort of feel like a weirdly pulled punch at the end. And I, I, it, that felt different than, than I was expecting given like the previous half hour of the film where he's very much like, calling out American empire and then they just kind of like walk away and it's like, well, they're, they're friends, you know, they're friends. Now they have come to, to an understanding and it just, I, I don't know. It, it, it felt, it felt like it, like it went to a very dark place and then by the very end kind of walked it back a little well, bit. In I, way that I thought I, was politically I, interesting. I, 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 I like that ending because, um, you know, there's, there's the political component of the film that's very dark but then there's also the emotional core of the movie, which is his relationship with Sissy Spacek and which is also kind of an extension of him like getting to know his son, you know, posthumously. And the fact that they've, you know, even though it's not I couldn't call it like a happy ending, but the fact that like he and his daughter in law have come to understand each other and love each other is something that's like a silver lining that's very beautiful. And I so I, I appreciate that they chose to present it in a way that didn't feel totally bleak at, at the end. And I do have yeah. a little bit of bad news, actually. Uh, so years after this movie's release, I'm reading this from IMDb, with the advent of more advanced DNA testing, uh, the body ship back to the United States was not Charles. Wow! Jesus! They wow. sent a Holy fake shit. body? <laughs> That's mm -hmm. so oh insane, but it's also that's fucked. Up. It's so fitting too, because yeah. it's like yeah. all, all through this process until the last scene where Jack Lemmon is finally gets confrontational with them. They're just trying to humor him and usher him along, 
they're will and they're willing to because th- you know he's like a good American. He he's like he's kind of like on their side and like he they're just like okay we just need to humor this guy. We just need to throw a couple of suggestions, other possibilities at him, give him like a story that he'll accept. You know, and they can all be like nice to him and pat him on the back and be like, look, we're on your side. We're doing everything we can here. And the um the consul is a very interesting character, Consul Putnam, because he always seems nice. And he's always like believable as someone who genuinely wants to help him and never really lets the mask slip. Like he's all like, like even though by the end of the movie, you can get the sense that he's like a bullshitter. It's like, he always seems like he's on Jack Lemon's side. And, but, um, but that like, it's, it's, and then it's so it's like, in that last scene, when he goes to confront him, they have like another bullshit story for him. It's like, oh, this is a guy we have here. You know, that guy. Oh, yeah, prob- that was hilarious. The yeah. guy, the guy who's yeah. probably like a CIA agent posing <laughs> as a journalist to give this like, bu- and like Jack, at this point, Jack Lemon's, Ed's just not even buying it. And he's like, he's telling him this whole story about how his son could have like left the country or something. He's like, can you get this guy out of here? Like, yeah, like he's yeah. just not having it. <laughs> and then that's when the ambassador and the general sort of let their mask slip a little bit. And and the the ambassador says something else that I thought was very poignant that like he says, like, you know, if it wasn't for your personal connection to this case through your son, you'd be back in New York. You'd be perfectly fine. You wouldn't be thinking about this at all. And he's like, so mm-hmm. uh, uh, right, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. it, 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 it's it's like so like, you know, like you don't want to know what we do down here. You, you like it just it was just so happened that you had this like personal connection but like this like we're acting in your interest we're protecting american interests we're doing this for you and you wouldn't have even noticed or cared if your son didn't happen to be caught up in it and uh that's interesting because it's very true and and val that um that detail honestly would have fit perfectly into the ending of the film because oh absolutely they as mm-hmm. soon as they're like, okay, this guy, this guy knows what's up. They're like, oh, we found him. We found him. He's right here. It turns out, oh, isn't that convenient? And like, like that, that totally feels like, like you can read it at, in the film as released as like, oh, they knew where he was all along. But it also would make just as much sense if they like, just give him a body. Just be like, up oh, here he is. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. sad. Too bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. like they probably knew he was dead from the beginning, but like, De- de- definitely didn't like as soon as they found out they have to like concoct a little story and it's like oh yeah you were right and we found the body and they just sent him a random fucking body and made them pay yeah. for the shipping of a <laughs> fake body oh, <laughs> uh well and trev going back to your point about um you know if he was still in new york and it wasn't his son down there he wouldn't give a shit uh, the, that's actually uh, the one limitation I do think of that this movie is is it's so it's focused uh, solely on uh, the American characters and the American people. Like there's not um, any sort of emphasis on the actual like Chileans going through it, other than like very incidentally. Um, so I, I do think there's a little, but but I mean like then again like on the other side, other hand, that this is focused on the American, so it's on the American involvement in the Chilean coup. So, um, but yeah, that that. A little bit more of that. Well, I think that's kind of the way it had to work for the this movie. You know, obviously a, a story that's more on the ground about like the, you know, centering the Chilean experience would be like good. You know, I'd love to see that yeah. movie. Yeah. But this is like, yeah. this is telling a story to give, this gives like an entry point for American viewers uh, to discover like, 
the fact that we uh, did this fascist, that our government did this fascist coup <laughs> in Chile. Yeah. So like it, it being from the perspective of Ed, as well as uh, um, uh, Sissy Spacek, and also, you know, through flashbacks and, and stuff like from his son, like it just, uh, yeah, it, very, it fits in thematically with what the movie is trying to accomplish. And it's almost like it would betray that a little bit if it forced in like, oh, here's this Chilean character and here's their point of view. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to like tokenize them. Um, there is a nice moment where um, that viewpoint does get interjected a little bit when um, Ed uh, is like addressing the stadium and the guy comes down and is like, my dad can't come here. And, yeah. Uh, look for <laughs> right. me. Uh, yes. I'd like some ice cream with my dinner, please. Colonel Espinoza. Yeah. And when he's talking yeah. to the the organizers, the radicals, whoever they're supposed to be, it's kind of like, you know, you Americans, you think it works like this or that, like. The, the 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 limitation of the movie is in a way like the limitation of the character and his american viewpoint so it is it is instructive that they at least have chilean characters like say saying that <laughs> to him yeah and uh i i did find out uh that after the fact that um the 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 daughter-in-law and ed uh actually did stay in close contact um, up until his death, and eventually, um, Charlie's mom uh, moved in with her. Oh, <laughs> like wow. they lived together until her death. That's, yeah. So like they stayed. So nice. She never. Re- yeah. She never remarried. Never had kids or anything like that. Like she. Like they were like you know, it, 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 this really did engender a, a, a deep connection between them, which w- was I, I think part part of why that ending I think works yeah. for me at least. It, it's really beautiful because it's like he's finding this connection with his son that he never had in his son's life and because of you know the tragic way his son died in this horrible situation he learned about his son he learned about the world and learned about himself and uh and uh um beth a sissy spacek was the conduit uh through which so like they come to like love each other like a father and daughter and man uh, so Jack and Jack Lemon is so good. I d- love yeah. watching this man act. He's really the fucking goat. He's so good in this movie. <laughs> yeah. He, he just uh, he evokes and- like all of that. Like he does mm-hmm. such a good job, you know, and he doesn't overplay it. Um he has this very paternal thing uh in the beginning, but you see the vulnerability and you see yeah. his like facade like start to crack like gradually over time and him being able to 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 let uh his daughter-in-law in and love her and it feels very uh true and real and there's there's yeah there's a real there's a real sincerity that's not overplayed and there's a real continuity of character where like there's a scene where um ed almost but doesn't quite openly cry He's like mm-hmm. he's very, very close. Like as he gets close the as wet eyes, get. his eyes get wet. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't quite cry. And like afterward, he's like, he's like, I made a fool of myself. I'm sorry. And she's like, genuine. You can tell that like Beth is like genuinely touched by it. Yeah. Um, and it would have been really easy to overplay that. And then also, he doesn't stop being himself. Like even at the end, he's still kind of like the put upon conservative guy. And he's like, "I'm I'm gonna sue I'm I'm gonna sue all of you." Like he's right. still he doesn't there's there's like there's a continuity of who he is as a person that comes through in Jack's uh, Jack Lemmon's performance. 
um that i think is like really understated and like you you it's obviously it's a it's a strong script i i think also um but he delivers it very well and like he he never overplays or or underplays the emotional dimensions of the character yeah i i have to say you know uh uh you know without getting too personal uh here i'll just say that part of the reason like this was so like emotionally effective for me is the uh the sort of the sort of like dynamic uh, uh that Jack Lemon has with his son is uh, a little bit kind of familiar to me. <laughs> you could say there are major aspects of the Charlie character and his relationship with his dad that I found very relatable. And then like seeing this, you know, seeing Jack Lemon, this incredible actor who I admire, uh, playing the father character and finding this emotional connection to his son it was really like it, it it was a very it was a very meaningful experience for me to watch and uh i'm just really i'm really glad you recommended uh this chris like cause for a, for a minute there like in the middle of the movie i was almost feeling like i don't know i don't know if i can do the podcast tonight i i like this is just like a little like a little too much for me like i need to like <laughs> uh, take some time but uh you know then i had some kratom to kind of get <laughs> a more upbeat mood so the great the great equalizer yeah well, the the guy who plays Charlie is really good too, and like it was John Shea. Yeah, it was bothering me who very good actor. Yeah, it was bothering me where I knew him from, and then I was like, oh, he played Lex Luthor on the Lois Lex Lu- Clark, right? That's right. Series, <laughs> the nineties one with uh, Dean Cain. Yeah. Oh, he's he's he, so. He also looks a lot like. De- Sorry, he's so oh, funny God. as Lex Luthor. I just was just watching some of that show recently, and his he has this incredible hammy performance as Lex. That's so good. <laughs> And I also, it's funny because before that, I mainly knew him as uh, he plays Blair Waldorf's gay dad on Gossip Girl. And um, and then when I went back and I watched some of, of Lois and Clark, it was really uh, funny to me that like Blair Waldorf's dad was Lex Luthor. <laughs> and now here he is in this very great, like serious performance uh, even earlier in his career. And uh, yeah, what an actor. He's got a ton of range. Mm. Very reliable kind of character actor. He also looks a lot like uh, Richard Gere of that era, like American mm, Gigolo, yeah. like Richard That's Gere. True, yeah. Something that struck me in this film, speaking of like TV, is um, this is the sort of film that I-, I think you almost never see nominated for Academy Awards anymore because it there's parts of it and like uh, th- this sounds like a dig and I don't really mean it that way where it feels almost like a TV movie. Um, it has that, like that seventies um, like verisimilitude and kind of like low glamor, low sheen style that, that uh, it just kind of sometimes feels like a, like a TV, you know, political thriller movie. And apart from like one or two shots there's no real like virtuoso cinematography or anything in it it doesn't have that like hollywood sheen to it and and there's no way that a film like this even politics aside would get nominated for for an academy award and definitely that's a shame because like i mean a movie movies like this don't get made i don't what i don't see movies that even even like the, the the most recent movie i hollywood movie i can think of that has the kind of mid-budget 70s political thriller feel is like Michael Clayton, 
And even that is still like, it doesn't have that same kind yeah. of plain presentation. It still has like, it's, it, it's, it's unavoidable to have the sort of like modern Hollywood yeah. and more emotional touches. Like you can't escape it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The, the only, the only thing that kind of comes to mind and, and this has much more Hollywood than this is something like the Irishman almost is like a little yeah. kind of in that same like understated way. But I, I mean, still it's, you know, it's, it's it's the Irishman, so it's not really like this at all. <laughs> but yeah, you're 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 right. You you don't you, they, they don't make films like this anymore. I also wanted to say before I forget that Sissy Spacek is so good in this movie. Like she mm-hmm. plays off uh, Jack Lemmon perfectly. Like every single scene where they have like a conflict, they like sh- she's able to go right directly at him, which is like so impressive considering like how like what like a name jack lemon was even at this time in his career just was like such like a legend and she was able to like really work alongside him really well and it makes me want to watch more sissy spacek movies because i've probably seen more than i can remember but the only two that stick out are this and carrie (laughs) obviously and yeah i need to see more spacek movies it's amazing that this is only like a couple years after carrie um in, in like incidentally um but yeah you know I, I i agree and also she 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 doesn't feel like an actress she just feels like a like a person mm-hmm. like like jack lemon to an extent still feels like like jack lemon um but you know but but she really does not feel like she is playing like like a part she, like i i i knew in my head that it was like sissy spacek but i wasn't like it didn't really register after a certain point yeah. I was not yeah. like this is a Hollywood actress portraying a mm-hmm. part. Oh, also before I forget, a time for me to ask my signature question of of Lemon Party. <laughs> it's time for the question. Uh, Kurt Prepare has... for Harry's <laughs> question. What are your two? Prepare for... yourselves. <laughs> To answer Valerie's question. Uh, what are your, your two personal histories with Mr. John, in quotes, Jack? <laughs> Jack Lemon. Lemon. What is, what, what's, your, what's your background with Jack Lemon? Where, where are you coming from with Lemon okay. experience? Okay, um, I, I think... I think the first Lemon I owned uh, would have been Grumpy Old Men. Because um, I, am, I am of that age... Where that was the rare film that my my you know then middle aged mom was super super psyched about because that was what like ninety four ninety five, um and I I was a uh I I was a precocious dork, um you know twelve or thirteen year old I I, I actually probably like 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 eleven or so I was I was a roller backpack kid and so that was exactly the the kind of film that I would have liked and and watched. Um, and, uh, so I, I was a big fan of Grumpy Old Men, and then, um, uh, I, I was also, like, a theater dork in, uh, in high school, so I was very into, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, um, especially, so those, those are, that was probably my initial background, um, with, uh, Mr. Lemon, the esteemed Mr. Lemon. Yeah, I, same, I, Kurt and I are almost, uh, you know, we're, we're around the same age, so I, I, I also first saw him in Grumpy Old Men. Uh, and then I, I, I have, for some reason, I have very vivid memories of watching uh, my fellow Americans at my grandmother's house uh, for some reason. So, it, you know, I, I remember that. 
And then eventually, you know, I, I, I was watching a lot of uh, Nick and Knight, so I would see um, the TV version of The Odd Couple. And um, I watched enough of that that I eventually I was like, oh, there's a movie that this is based on. I want to see that. So I, I moved on to that. Um, so, yeah. When did you when did you first see uh, this movie, Chris? Since it was your I, uh, suggestion, uh, a couple nights after I had suggested it to you guys. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> all right. I thought I didn't know if maybe you'd had no nineteen ninety three. No, this it's one of those things where like you know I, I had this director that I I have wanted to check out and I just happened to see that he had directed a Jack Lemon and I was like, well, I'm, I've been invited on a Jack Lemon podcast. What better time than now? Had your own little ulterior motive coming into it. <laughs> But yeah, Costa Gavras. I'm very familiar. I'm very familiar. I'm very interested in his uh, career now um, because, like we said, I love this movie, and uh, and uh, yeah, a lot of French movies. It looks he's like alive still. Yeah, surprisingly, yeah. He, he's still, he had a film still in 2019. Yeah. yeah. My understanding is that uh, Z and State of Siege are two of his his. Um, like better uh, movies. So, what one interesting thing that I learned just from looking at on um, Wikipedia, which I might not have even noticed otherwise, is that they never uh, refer to Pinochet by name in the movie, nor do they uh, say uh, Chile. They never say. I mean, they re- they refer to a couple of cities, you know, Viña del Mar and Santiago, or but they never actually say that they're in Chile. Like they never say the name of the country and they never mention Pinochet. I don't think they mention Allende either. So it's very, it's, it's, it's very sort of like uh, generalized and it's almost like timeless because this could have been happened during so many uh, um, uh, American uh, South American adventures that the U S was involved in because this happened quite a few times in that, uh, Pinochet was still in power when when this movie came yeah. out. So like, yeah, he was, yeah. and for some time after, yeah, too. Uh, yeah, it was it was banned in Chile uh, for that reason. <laughs> Not surprisingly, it has kind of like a funny um, effect that combined with the fact that like was already mentioned that it doesn't really go into the Chilean point of view. And it almost puts the viewer in just kind of like the stupid American point of view where it doesn't, yeah. it, it never actually tries to explain like, why did the coup happen? Who yeah. was behind it? it who did, it's like, not like a didactic uh, movie. It's not trying yeah. to teach you, but it's not like a, you know, imagine like the Adam McKay version <laughs> of this movie <laughs> where, where they would bring in bring in some like hot lady to give you a quick rundown of like you know and that give you like a little like animated infographic that shows you the history yeah. of of u.s involvement and coups yeah it's <laughs> like it's, doesn't, it's not doesn't like syriana or something like that yes. yeah 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 <laughs> oh and also i feel like with like not mentioning uh chile by name or like the the people involved in the coup by name i feel like it's almost like when like larry david talks about like with seinfeld how like like you had to like be like almost like playing ball with the censors to try to get words into the show like he would say like would have to talk to like censor people and be like can i have three breaths and they're like you can only have two breaths and he's like Okay, fine. It's that sort of thing where it's just like doing like the amount to be able to get it to wide release by Universal Pictures, and he did just that. And it's almost all of the like American like officials and operatives are like sort of 
could almost be like archetypes. You know, you've got you've got the colorful Texas military guy. You've got the ambassador. Uh, you know, <laughs> you've got and you know, there's that other like uh, military. Uh, the the I guess it's a general or some some military officer that uh that um Charlie like talks to, and they're very just like. These are just your, your standard like American coup characters. Oh yeah, like I love know? how stupid they are too. They're like they're just like openly talking about. It. They're like, yeah, we're not here to do a coup. It went really well. Yeah, yeah they just they just kind of assume that Charlie's like in in the club just because he's there. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, this is one of our guys. Or, or, like, yeah, know? or or because he's an American, so he's like, well, we're all on the same page. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. But it, there is also a nice effect to the fact that um, you know, it's funny as like a. A, a fun sort of uh, effect of the fact that like in all like government offices, they have to have a picture of the current president up on the wall. So that because of that, there's like just a picture of Richard Nixon <laughs> in the background and a bunch of scenes, which is cool. And also uh, Henry Kissinger is named in the closing n- narration, like just saying like, you know, that a lawsuit was filed against uh, several, including Henry Kissinger. <laughs> there, there, nice to just throw in a little shout out there. Yeah. There was uh, also- actually... I really um, like that okay. Jack Lemon was also the narrator just from mm-hmm. yeah. the from the beginning and the end of the movie like there's something about that that is nice because it reminds you in a way that this is the true story and that the guy wasn't really Jack Lemon because mm-hmm. he's also talking about these events in like a third person form where where it's like you know like Jack Lemon is here doing this performance of something that really happened and then Jack Lemon's there to like sign off with this little closing narration for mm-hmm. you. I think and, that has a nice effect. And I also love that it doesn't it doesn't do like the modern like uh based on a true story thing where like the closing credits start with like a bunch of pictures of like yeah yeah fake people and the real people because that's always like I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I was expecting it to And do here's that, what that they really that, um, looked like. That that films always do when they're based on a true story where it it, it has like the paragraph of text like uh Ed Horseman uh filed suit against blah 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 and then and then the last line fades in, nobody was ever convicted or something like that. Um yeah, but, yeah. but I I, I, I do wanna say, um there were documents um uncovered in Chile in like 2004 or 2005 um they 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 basically did like a series of trials um to to like prosecute all the people from uh the the pinochet coup who were like still alive um and there were actually there there was some talk of whether chile would try to extradite uh henry kissinger (laughs) for his role um in the coup and like they, they they wound up like not not filing for the extradition, but it was apparently like a fairly close thing. Oh. Um, so almost, damn almost it, almost fucking got him. Uh, th- there's, there's no way we would have fucking given them kissing. No, no, definitely though. not, definitely not. W- was anyone? W- were any American uh, actors extradited or convicted or tried or anything in Chile, or was it just something that was floated? Um, they've no, I don't believe so. But they did basically name names and say it was the you know these people mm-hmm. signed off on it these people were like like it's it's basically basically what was found to have happened was exactly um what beth uh and ed come to believe where like there was like the cia was in the room being like yep you can you can off that guy that's fine yeah yeah um that p- pretty much and and yeah it, it's it, it all effectively happened exactly as as the movie implies that it did yeah i i yeah i mean it, 
like I I really like when that um that one guy they talk to who's like a cop who's like kind of a defector like tells them like there's oh, no yeah. way they would have killed this American guy without like permission from the US, you know, and it's like I can't prove that, but it's just like I just know like they wouldn't dare yeah. to do that. And then seeing a, a, like almost like the final point in Jack Lemon's evolution is when he says that to the ambassador like i don't think they would have killed my son unless you told them they could yeah. you know like him being able to like internalize this fact it's a very like nice uh touch and especially because i guess since you mentioned that wasn't like a proven public that wasn't like public knowledge no or, yeah like, a proven fact at the time i did think it was interesting that J jack lemon is the first person to to bring up the that like direct collusion um, and he's like very proud of himself for bringing it up. Like at a point when he's still very like he he's still very like conservative minded about the whole thing. And he's like, look, we know that you know American troops are here training the cops. I'm just asking you, can you use those connections to find him? And they're like, yeah. whoa, whoa, no, 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 absolutely not. And like <laughs> yeah, even he is like, really? Come on. He's like, I don't, I don't care about the politics. I just really want to find my son. You know, I'm not here to point fingers. Just help me find my son, please. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so good. It's like it, it's it's like just as like a political subject, it's very interesting and sort of enriching. And just the way that that ties in perfectly with the emotional arc of the movie is just so nice. It's what a mm -hmm. what a, what a great picture. I, I really yeah. really loved watching this. Yeah, me too. So, uh, does anybody have any final thoughts on, I almost said the China syndrome, on <laughs> Missing, or Jack Lemon or, uh, Pinochet, or any, <laughs> any relevant, uh, topic? Um, it, it's, it's refreshing to, to see a, like, legitimately left-wing, uh, movie, not just liberal movie, but, like, a left-wing movie. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that, that was really, uh, cool. Uh, and, to kind of like uh, uh, bookend the the coup, there's a good movie by uh, Pablo Lorraine called No N O uh, mm. about the the pleb the plebiscite that went on to determine whether or not Pinochet should remain in power, uh, and all about uh, the the uh, how the nations like advertise. There's this, like one advertising agency that like turned it into this like TV advertisement to to try and get Pinochet out of power. So that was that was a really interesting movie. So bookends wow um uh kurt any any last words uh no i i got nothing it's a good it's a good film it looks good uh yeah it, it's different from what you would see now you should watch it yeah and uh of course uh we mentioned that you guys co-host parent uh, parents just don't understand occasionally uh any any <laughs> Anything new coming out with that? Uh, yes. It's now just... been over a year since that Batman episode <laughs> we recorded. Uh, I've been... Wondering if that's going to materialize it is. anytime. It is. It is. We just, we just hired uh, an actual editor um, oh, to, wow. actually, to actually do it because I, I just have too much shit going on, to be perfectly honest. Oh, okay. It takes me weeks and weeks to get around to editing an episode. Um, oh, you so, yes, you, you hi hired a, a podcast editor, huh? A podcast editor, yes. Oh, that's uh, that's interesting. Well, Patreon.com for us to hire a podcast editor. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, 
also, uh, we didn't mention Blood Knife, uh, oh, yeah, Blood Knife. which is a, a great a great site that uh, Kurt runs that uh, Chris has contributed to that I've also contributed a little bit to. Um, more than a little bit. You've contributed to significantly. Uh, uh, li- listeners all know about Blood Knife already, but if you don't, you know, it's the best source of of interesting and thoughtful analysis on science fiction, fantasy, genre uh, work in general. Um, and I think you've got a, uh, got a big Satan issue coming up yes, soon, right? The big man, the big man. And it's probably going to come out like right around Christmas. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> that's awesome. So by the time you're hearing this, that'll have already been out for a while. Uh, so check it out <laughs> if, if, if you haven't already. Dana Carvey's churchly character will be so uh, the will mm-hmm. be proven correct in the Santa Satan. I, 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 I hope I hope that the Satan issue gets enough play on Twitter that all those like post left weirdos who freaked out about the Travis Scott oh thing wow that's see it. Point. And so that they can be like, this is the degeneracy of the leftoids <laughs> glorifying Satan and <laughs> do you know what kind of power this this stuff has? <laughs> oh, also, I want to say before I forget, Kurt, uh, on our China Syndrome episode, our guest for that episode, Eli Olsberg, he brought up he brought up a blood knife. That's issue. right. Yeah, he piece. mentioned the um the the R, the RS article that like the really big one that everyone, oh yeah yeah uh, knows that's about. awesome. It, it it's funny he like casually mentioned he like casually like brought up the article. It was like about everyone's horny and or, or everyone's beautiful, <laughs> no one's horny, and I'm like oh yeah. Uh, that was on, I believe that was on a bloodknife.com. <laughs> maybe. I'm familiar with thank that you, uh, particular you. outlet. Bless. Bless. <laughs> so that was a cool little uh, convergence there. Excellent. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks again, Chris, for recommending this movie. I loved thanks, it. Chris. And this was a great conversation. Always great to talk to you boys. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks very much for having us on. Yeah, thanks, Trev. Thanks, Valerie. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, and thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to Lemon Party. I'm Trevor Drinkwater. I'm Valerie Faye. And as always, have a, those lemons. have a lemon <laughs> party tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.